Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. And welcome to the Hopcast. It is show number 75. Is it 75? It is, yeah. It is 75. We should really be sort of making a big splash about it, shouldn't we? Well, it's funny you say that. We're next to a very large body of water. <laughs> we are. So, yeah, the opportunity to have a splash is, is considerable. We are next to the River X again. In fact, we're sitting on a bench where we recorded an earlier podcast when we did the Agatha Christie special just about 10 shows ago, I guess. That feels like quite a while ago. But is this then the first time except for when we're at home, obviously, mm-hmm. that we've recorded a podcast in the same location. Yeah. Twice. Th- this is very much the first time we've done that. Mm. And it feels... It is deja vu all over again and all that r- ridiculousness. Um, so we described it then. If you want to find out what, exactly where we are, then um, go back to that podcast. Yes. I can't be bothered to describe it again. <laughs> but you but... should know on the tip of your tongue what number that was. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, are, there are lots of um, lots of lovely... Um, leisure craft let's put it that way well why don't we just uh, say boats water hills clouds yeah reeds <laughs> lots and lots of reeds across the way there in the other bank of the the estuary and lots of mud as well yeah quite a bit of mud and the odd seagull yeah well anyway welcome and the to m5 the show. <laughs> you can hear the rumble of the m5 in the background <laughs> Well, welcome to the show. We are in Topsham, which is in Devon, and we came down this weekend to uh, pay tribute to someone I mentioned on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, the passing of a dear friend, John Whitworth, a.k.a. Frog, who was a big influence in my broadcast career, as he was the man who kept University Radio Extra going for so long, 40 years he put into it, and he passed away age 67 earlier this year. And the plan was that we were coming down to meet other friends from that period of my life, uh, and none of them turned up. So, Well, you're the only one who did turn up. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm about to record my tribute after we do the podcast uh, to John, and that will go into a special programme which is going out on Expression FM, as it's now known, next week. Uh, they're celebrating his life. So that's um, you know a great tribute from the station. Uh, many of those members will not have remembered Frog because he'd retired a few years ago, mm. but his legacy is enormous and i am voting for the option to call the student radio station the frog pad is what i think it should be called the frog pad isn't that good <laughs> that is good so anyway that's what i would like it to be called but i'm sure are they renaming it then they are planning to yeah which is great and you get you get to vote well i don't know about that but i'm I'm lobbying yeah rather than voting yeah yeah i like that no i i support that it's great okay right. we should say who we are yeah, and what yeah. we do yeah i was just about to say that and uh, you know we should do that and you've prevented me from doing so which is terrible i'm adrian hobart i'm rebecca collins and to get to get together together to get, together we created Hobeck <laughs> Books UK independent uh, small publishers of the following genres crime why are you doing that voice in the middle of Devon surely do a Devonian accent C- crime <laughs> how do you say crime in a Devonian accent crime oh that's good yeah crime no I can't no, do it crime yeah thrillers cider 
Yeah, no, we don't do cider. <laughs> mystery. It'll be mystery. Mystery. And suspense. And suspense, yes. That's what we do. Yeah. Anyway, so we're, we're down in Devon, and uh, that's what we do. And this podcast is all about running the business and meeting fantastic people from the publishing industry, whether it's our own authors, the people we work with, our cover designers, all that sort of thing, editors. All but total also, strangers. All total strangers. And indeed, this week we have a special, special edition because we are speaking to the man who is in charge of the future of Jack Reacher. That is quite a responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Andrew Child himself, brother of Lee, who has taken over the mantle of writing the, Lee, the uh, Jack Reacher books. He has. And we met him at uh, Crime Fest in Bristol a few weeks ago. We've been promising this for ages. It's one of our, I think, our best interviews. This, yeah, definitely one of my favourites because we were sat in armchairs, weren't we? And yeah, it felt we were, so cosy. In a sort of sidebar at the thing. And um, they'd run out of beer by this point. So uh, we just uh, we had a bottle of water each and we were just having we a We should wonderful... have had coffees, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> turns out he's a big coffee fan. But anyway, we had a wonderful conversation with Andrew and you will hear that very soon. Let's get into some news now. Plenty around. It was the uh, Independent, Independent Publishers Guild Spring Conference this week in Nottingham. Uh, we didn't go. No, I mean, one reason is it's in the middle of the week and it's logistically, it's quite difficult. Well, you've got... You've got boys with exams. Yeah, they're in the middle of their GCSEs and A-levels, so I, I, I couldn't leave them. No, that's one reason. And um, note to the IPG, the attendance cost was way too high for a publisher in our situation. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, we're not going to spend 650 quid going no, to that. No, we, we just can't justify it. No. Let's just put this in perspective. So to get to the London Book Fair is 55 quid for the whole shebang. Wasn't it? I think something like that. We paid a bit more because we went to Each, a rights yeah, conference. Yeah. Right. So there's the contrast. Okay. There's thousands of people go to the Olympic, but I'm sorry. Uh, if you then added in uh, accommodation costs and the dinner and everything, it was getting on for, you know, 700, 800 we pounds. We don't have that money. And I don't think necessarily we would have gained 800 pounds worth of money. I would rather spend that on our books. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. So we didn't go. And there have been some stories. In fairness, some of the stories we're about to talk about emerged from keynote speeches at the IPG Spring Conference, um, and we are proud members of that conf- of that uh, that group. But I just felt that you know they're living in La La Land with that sort of price, and you know that's fine for independent publishers such as Bloomsbury. <laughs> Or Granter, or any of those uh, those other names yeah, that we've been think, around for decades. I think people find it hard to believe that Bloomsbury are officially an independent publisher, but yeah. they 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 are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it just feels wrong. They're just a giant of. <laughs> they are. They are. So, uh, what emerged? Well, you spotted a story which I mean, we've struggled to access on the bookseller, but it was from the IPG conference. Yeah. Uh, and it was someone saying, "Get into TikTok." So guys. when I get, when I get home, I'll have a look at it, but. Anything that involves TikTok, my, my little ears prick up because I've started using TikTok. I've, I've sort of lapsed a little bit recently. It does come in uh, ebbs and flows with me. But if the IPG are saying it, then surely <laughs> there must be a benefit of being on TikTok now. Well, that was, yeah, one of the things that was discussed there. Um, I'm just going to go back into the bookseller on my phone because there was another IPG style story that was uh, of interest and of course as soon as you do that they've they've decided not to uh, <laughs> to furnish me with that uh, that particular thing um was it something to do with audio was it it was here we go yeah i've got it now thank you for buying me a little bit of time so this was a speech by the um head global head of an outfit called bookwire okay don't I, know them no nor do i uh, his name is 
great name, Videl Barker. Videl Barker? Yeah. Oh, he's got to come in a book. And it's Barker with a hyphen between bar and car. B-A-R-C-A-R. No, K-A-R, but with with a hyphen. (laughs) Anyway, I I digress. So if you want to find that story, you can now find it. Um, (laughs) He says that audiobooks, he thinks, are going to vastly outpace e-book sales. Now, that is quite a claim. I, I think that's a big claim. I don't really think the data backs that up at the moment. But he says, the market is experiencing really interesting growth. Global sales are set to reach $4.5 billion this year. Okay, this is audiobooks. With a forecast to reach $9 billion by 2026. Okay, that's four years from now. Okay, mm. so four years from now, a $9 billion market. So that's over 100%, 120% growth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair fine. Enough. Fine. Fine. <laughs> All right. I'm. I'm. You know. That sounds very optimistic. That sounds very. It sounds inc- optimistic, but within the realms of possibility. Well, maybe. But <laughs> let's just remember one thing. Now we're in the audiobook market in a major way, in terms of the num- we've got quite a number of our titles already up there. Yeah. But we want to get all of them up there at some point. Ideally, and yeah. yeah. And that's going to take a long, long time and a lot of investment. But in the UK. So much for the $9 billion market worldwide. It's oh. only worth £200 million, the audiobook market oh, currently in the UK. Okay. Now we need, we need Toby here to do the maths. <laughs> Cause that's a long that's way from a nine, small percentage, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, small percentage of $9 billion, or even $4.5 billion. And um, uh, apparently in Europe it's worth a billion dollars. So really the money is in the United States, and that's where the audiobook you know, sales are, mm. frankly. And I just don't see this. And he is saying that uh, he's really encouraged by the, uh, this is my bugbear, as you know, the AI situation. Oh, where, <laughs> you know, so look, speech, uh, text to speech narration is a thing and it's getting quite sophisticated. And part of me as a narrator would love to be one of those people who lays down his voice and all the syllables and all that stuff to be able to narrate books automatically and get a percentage of the of you know a fee for usage yeah that's a way forward for 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 people like me uh, to actually benefit from this but um at the moment audible are kind of they're the they're the believe it or not they're the 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 one element which is making it um making this ai thing not take off as fast as it might now you need to explain that because because audible will not use ai narration they won't they won't allow it to be published now that is interesting isn't it yeah and i I, i'm quite pleased about that yeah i think i think in many ways that is well thank goodness yeah so that they are appreciating the craft yeah which they should do yeah they do um well well, to some extent but then again i would say i would also argue that in creating the acx uh, that's the audible creative exchange um system where you again you know you can get yourself a, a narration project i've done a few i've done a few um narration projects where i get a share of the royalties yeah it has driven down the value of narration because any old tom and dick Dick and harry are putting themselves up there and actually it's very low bar in terms of some people just well happy oh he's got half a decent voice and he doesn't sound too bad i'll i'll get them to do it now you have to be pretty sure given that you're only getting 20 percent of any royalties um that this book is going to sell and to date all the projects i've done through ACX have made me peanuts, mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah. So in America, the going rate for narration is a minimum $250 per finished hour. 
minimum. Gosh. That's the union rate. And, you know, basically on pain of death, do you go cheaper than that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's no such threshold in the UK. No, it's different, isn't it? And so, you know, I have worked, as you know, and I've mentioned it on the podcast before, for one of the biggest audiobook publishers in the country, a, com- a company that in future I could see us actually uh, optioning our rights yeah, to. absolutely. They're very well known, so. Right. But I got paid £80 per finished hour, which and really boils down to it is about 50. Yeah, if, I'm, if I'm scraping, it's probably the amount of work it put in, it's probably about 10 to £12.50 an hour. Right. OK, so put that in context. Ten. What is the minimum wage at the moment? It's about The living wage is about just over £10. Something so the like minimum that. living I wage. I don't know what the minimum wage is for a, for a full adult like myself. I, I, I couldn't tell you, but it's okay. around the £10. But, so it's not much more than if you were doing some sort of fairly manual yeah job yeah if i was working in an amazon warehouse or something yes then that, that that just doesn't make sense no no and that 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 is the i mean that's part of the problem with with publishing in general is yeah. that it's it's very low wages yeah uh, and they it, get away with it because it's always been that way yes and it shouldn't be um but then again you know we're always putting the squeeze on when we can because because <laughs> you know it's our money that's because, going into yeah books. i know we have to be so this actually leads into the um other news article we found about the price of books ah yes well, so people are being squeezed editors and narrators because the publishers have to make a margin and the only way they can make a margin is not paying as generously as they should do for the people who help them make the books because in the uk the price of books is um it's kind of it it hasn't been in line with inflation over the last uh, few decades has it and um i think it is the um is it the ex head of black blackwell yeah here we go right so yes it is blackwells um, blackwells the bookshop david prescott is his name yeah and he is the former ceo of blackwells and he says that uk industry this is the publishing industry is out of kilter, yes, it is, in terms of other countries uh, and the price of books. Now, we know from, uh, well, for instance, anecdotally, when we talk to Lewis Hastings about the price of a paperback in New Zealand, it's 40, mm. 50 New Zealand dollars. That's a lot of money. Australia is very, very similar, sort of whack. Um, you know, it's going to be, you know, multi- you know, $30, $40, something like that. So more expensive, certainly, than this country. And indeed, in Europe, where we've um, been talking to a potential distributor for, for a series of our books, uh, they charge 15 euros, mm. um, which is £12.50 for a, for a paperback. Yeah. So we are way below, and um, that can, it is not sustainable. No. I'm sorry, but we, we, the margin on our £9.99 standard paperback publishing book, you know, we don't make... We make um, we recently had some sales through. So I won't say which title it was or which author, but we sold 58 copies on in launch month. Yes. Through Ingram Spark. And 58 copies, great. Cover price, £9.99. Mm-hmm. Royalty returns from 58 copies sold was just £78. Yeah, so that's 35 for us and 35 for the author. Well, for, yeah, you know, whatever the, well, the maths is. I'm but rounding. You know, yeah, yeah, you're rounding down. Uh, yeah, just shy of forty pounds each, uh, thirty-nine pounds each to be exact. So that is it of fifty-eight copies, and 
at £10. So that just shows you just so little margin because the cost of publish, publication and the, the retail discount you need to make now is so huge. We've been asked recently for a 65% discount on the cover price. That is to say 65% of that £10, for argument's sake, so £6.50 goes to the retailer. The price of publishing a book at the moment, we went for, we had a quote recently for 200 copies of a book that has sold out in its initial print run, £500. So we're looking at minimum, you know, uh, adding extra costs for storage and all that sort of thing. You're basically looking at about £2.80 to publish that book per copy. Mm -hmm. And you're being asked to give £6.50 on a cover price of £10, which means (laughs) it's 20 pence each margin. Yeah. So why why would we do that? Well, you know, sometimes you wonder why we're in publishing because the margins are so poor. Anyway, he's saying this is uh, David Prescott. We'll go back to him. Uh, he was addressing the IPG conference. Um, product and price have to be looked at in tandem. He told delegates, "Should the retailer be setting the price? Is there resistance from the retail sector about prices? The industry hasn't really engaged retail in why we're pricing books uh, and why they need to move." He said retailers have the biggest influence on shaping how much a book is worth to a reader in terms of cost. It's the supermarkets, he says, Hmm. alongside Amazon, that set the price perception of what a book is worth to the general public. So they need to be engaged in the debate. Engage retailers in the conversation. Make them understand the potential concern of selling a Richard Osman at £4.50. It devalues the backlist. Books are not groceries, milk and petrol. They are an adjunct to all that. Comparing the prices of paperbacks in Ireland and the US, Prescott said the UK was out of kilter on the mass market titles. In Eason's, the retail re- uh, recommended retail price stands at about €12.60, yeah. so similar to, um, to what we're saying in Malta. Significantly more expensive, that's £10.70 in, in, in UK, so that's more expensive than the eight ninety nine that it would sell for here. Um, he said, suggested the industry could consider different pricing models, including setting prices that are commensurate with an author's proven success. Hmm? Okay. No, I'm not sure about that. But <laughs> People will happily spend £20 on a bottle of wine or £100 on a meal out for two, but they'll choke on the price of a £25 book. It's absolutely imperative for the publisher to look at pricing now because their cost base has gone through the roof. If not now, when? When do we increase the cost of books? And more importantly the cost perception of books. Um, According to data from the IPG, the consumer print price for books in 2001 was £7.08 and came in at £8.12 in 2021, an increase of just 15% over the last 20 years. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Put it like that. (laughs) But that's just nonsense. I mean, okay, so it's not gone up commensurate with the number of years, but the price of of, of books to produce them has gone up fifty percent yes, in six months. Exactly, it is. You know, it's gone. It's gone crazy, and um, you know, we are going to have to look at. Our, if something our isn't done, there's going to be a lot of companies will just go bust. Yeah, as simple well, as we that. We can't. We can't sustain nine ninety nine. We just can't. And it, you know, if that means we don't sell paperbacks, I'd rather sell them with a margin than give them away. Yeah, which is what we're doing at the moment. Yeah, effectively, um, and no one's benefiting from that. So. That's a big, big, big topic. And the final news story we've, we've gone on, we're going to get to Andrew soon. Andrew Child <laughs> is coming soon. But there is another story which is, uh, again, causing a lot of concern within the publishing industry, which is the end of the cost of book prize. 
which is a big UK prize, second only to the Booker, really, because it used to be the Whitbread. Yes, it's, it's sort of the more popular book prize, isn't it? Yeah, Whitbread bought Costa, I think, and then they turned it into the Costa one. But it is, um, yeah, it's a more sort of, uh, it's a book prize for still quality... Quality trade, I'd say. Yes, yes, rather than well, the literary, literary fiction, which, which, is which, Booker. which is Booker all, all along. Uh, but it's ending after 50 years, and there's no new sponsor coming forward for it, and that's quite a big... That is a that, that is big news. That is it a big really news, is. yeah, 50 years of, of this. And, you know, when you lose a prize like that, you know, it's very, very hard to create momentum behind. And, you know, if someone else came in latterly in two years' time and said, we're going to set up a literary prize for popular, you know, well-written popular fiction. It takes a long fiction. time to build it up. Well, it's going to mean nothing for ages. Yeah. It's like... Um, well, we could do it. And it would... <laughs> well, it's like, you know, isn't it funny? Because with, say, for instance, comedy at the Edinburgh Festival, everyone used to talk about Perrier Awards, right? And the Perrier Awards were the, you know, the, the thing. If you were nominated for a Perrier Award, you could book yourself into any comedy club around the country for years to come. <laughs> Let alone win it. Then you'd be on TV, guaranteed. Lee Mack, for instance, um, really emerged from that. Frank Skinner, another one. So that was a big deal. Then the Perrier uh, sponsorship ran out and so the, the Fringe Festival had to create their own, it's called the Emedy, uh, Edinburgh Comedy F- Prize or something like that um, and it's just lost all the magic lost all the mystique lost all the magic yeah, all the magic um, it, it, you know, it, it, it's going to be very hard for any prize to come in and fill that place in the market unless someone takes over the sponsorship soon and it isn't going to be Starbucks is it? I mean, they'd love to, I'm sure, but there's no way Costa are going to give it up. Oh, and, gosh. And <laughs> yeah. Um, the Mercury <laughs> music, music Prize has taken 20-odd years for it to really gather momentum. You know, like, I, I mean, I, I have been responsible when my, my time at the BBC um, for, uh, I suppose, administering and, and creating. Well, I don't create, but I was a very big force in the creation of the uh, Women's Football of the Year Award from the BBC. No. You were. Yeah. After all, you go on about women's football. I hate it, but I mean, you know, but, but the, I had a job to do. It was someone else who put the money in, and I had to set, you know, um, sort of corral it into life. I can't believe that. Yeah, well, there's a good story. I'll t- I'll tell you the story after the after we get to the interview. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it takes a few years for people to take it seriously. It's a very big deal now. Mm. Um, very prestigious. But it took us a few years. And the same with the African Football of the Year, which I, I had uh, a dotted line responsibility for for quite a long time. Um, and we really took it to places, you know, in terms of the scale of the, the reveal as to who won it and all this sort of stuff. Um, took it to new levels and, 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 you know, the promotion of it. Um, even though it was another department that originally established it. And that's been going for 25 years. And again, that's a really big deal. The, 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 the footballers really want to win it. But initially, they didn't give a damn. And so this is this is something that, that I think Costa are going to regret it. I think the publishing industry are clearly going to regret it. It is a great focus. All of these awards help. And, you know, fingers crossed, Mark Whiteman, when we get to the CWA, John Creasy Award, New Blood, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, will be running uh, away with that prize. If but, he wins, I'm going to dance around the garden naked with sticks. I think you should walk down, run down the seafront <laughs> now. <laughs> the waterfront here in Topsham naked with sticks. Anyway, um, lots of news this week then. And, uh, yeah, lots of things to ponder, really. But um, we'll We get... should talk about Andrew. Yeah. Well, I have it in my bag, which is his take on Jack Reacher. So here's the story. 
Lee Child has written, I think, something like 25 Jack Reacher books, or 24, I think, now, um, and has sold over 100 million copies, multi-millionaire, and living in the United States, and living his best life, but had reached the point where, you know, he was tired of doing it, and where can he take it? So, what does he do? He asks his brother to take over. Well, when I get tired of Hobeck, I might ask my brother to take over. Can you imagine? <laughs> He'd be very good. Uh, we're going in a different direction, I think. I know. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> so there's a big challenge for, for Andrew. And, uh, I mean, the, the, they are originally the Grant brothers. They're both from Birmingham, but now they're known by their writers' names, Char Brothers. Andrew had written nine books previously uh, in crime and thriller genre, so he's no first time oh not at all no not at all but still a massive challenge and uh i think it's fair to say when we were in bristol there was quite a few people sort of raising an eyebrow and going yeah lucky sold and all this sort of stuff not not entirely being nice frankly they're poo bags having said that he is one of the nicest people oh he's lovely he's totally lovely and 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 totally modest and you know uh, I think there's an element of him going, yeah, I can't believe I'm doing this to some extent. Yes, I think I think there is, but he's he's also very calm and... Yeah, and very respectful of what his brother's achieved absolutely. and what he's built and that responsibility. So we sat down with him at Crime Fest and uh, we had a very enjoyable... It's nearly an hour long, so this is going to be another epic episode <laughs> of the Hobcast book show, but you will not want to miss a minute of this because it goes... It ranges all sorts of things, oh, but he's brilliant. just a really great guy. This is Andrew Child. I am absolutely blown away. I'm sure you are too, Rebecca. Oh, yes, I'm very blown away. (laughs) (laughs) To be sitting in a bar in Bristol. No, to be sat with Andrew Child. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Adrian, Rebecca, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, We're always... I mean, we're terrible introverts, the two of us, and, you know, even though the impression we may have given is not the, not the case. But coming to an event like this, we set off with high hopes, a lot of trepidation, and usually by about five o'clock on the third day, the guts to actually approach people of your calibre. So, uh, is it bit, about five o'clock on the third day? It, it is about five o'clock on the third day, so uh, we're, we're enormously grateful you could spend some time with us. But what, I mean, one thing I wanted to ask as a get-go here at, at Bristol, what do you get out of coming to events like this? Because you've travelled a long way. Yeah, and you, you, yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I have. But I absolutely love coming to events like this. And um, I think part of it is because a lot of the time, as an author, you're on your own. You know, you're sitting in your spare room in your pajamas. Um, if your deadline's close, you probably haven't showered for a week. And, um, you know, you lose, you, you know, you lose a sort of sense of connection with, with other people, which is strange because you're living with what feels like people, but they're actually only characters in your head. And yeah. so, you know, it all gets very claustrophobic. So um, every now and again, it's just lovely to, you know, be forced to, you know, clean up, put clothes on and, and come, <laughs> and come I out. I should say, everybody, he's not wearing his pajamas. <laughs> And, you know, just, just come and, and meet people and talk. And in particular, at an event like this, you're talking everybody here loves books. Yes. And, um, you know, if you have a passion for something that isn't always shared by people, um, if you can be in a room or a hotel full of people who love the same thing that you love, it's just a wonderful experience. Do you know what? In the bar, it strikes me, every time we go into the bar, everyone's talking about killing people. Mm. And it's acceptable here. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We can plot and kill thousands. Yeah. I remember, remember years ago, I was writing a book that involved um, a scene where there was some poisoning. And, uh, you know, as in airborne poison. And so there'd been that time in some f- former Soviet place where it, 
I think a theatre had been captured and they tried to poison the... Um, yeah, was it Chechens? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and it all went horribly wrong and yeah. everybody died. So I remembered that, so I found out about the poison and I wrote down all the details, you know, what the ingredients were and the concentrations and if you had it this amount, then you might make people unconscious, but that amount you can kill them. And I had it all written down by hand. And um, it was in my briefcase, and I was coming through security at O'Hare Airport in Chicago, and I suddenly <laughs> thought, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to work too well. Yeah, totally normal to you as a writer, but to other people, it would be red flag. Exactly. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. Oh, well, you, you know, my wife's a writer too, and yeah. you know, there'll be times, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll both you know go in our own little offices and work in the day and then we'll meet in the kitchen you know make dinner and and you know the other day she'd, she'd been she was writing a book and she she came down and said to me oh you know i killed off um such and such today and you know if anybody was if anybody was eavesdropping yeah you know, yeah well I mean, I, a couple of weeks ago we were on i took to the stage to introduce one of our authors robert dawes uh who was our first signing and Uncle Bob, as we call him. You know, so he, I mean, people turn up to, to, to not for his books necessarily, it's, it's his acting career. Um, but uh, as I mentioned to him, you know, he's the loveliest man in acting. Everyone knows him as, you know, the, you know, the, the friendly face of many ITV serials and all that sort of stuff. But you ought to know that he was the first person to start killing the killing spree that has now led to 132 deaths in two them. years in, in Hobet books. And, <laughs> uh, you know, he's the mastermind behind our criminal enterprise. But you know, it, yeah. it is that thing. And we on our... And I pa- can't kill a fly in real life. No, you, it's very true. <laughs> it's very, you get very upset when I start killing off all the flies oh, that come I, off the cow the And it's cow coming pastures. to that season, so you're going to have the spray going yeah. around the house. But it, it's interesting. We, we have a panel of authors now with a poison expert on on the books so um yeah i mean it's it's yeah. interesting getting them together and finding out how they're all going to murder their characters is it, it's brilliant and you know that's one of the real fun parts about the job is that you know typically people who do this are quite obsessive yeah. so you, you you tend not to be the sort of person that says oh i need a poison oh that one will do you know you have to read about every single poison ever invented how they've been used you know you know about which roman empress used it to mm. you know and and it, it's just wonderful i mean not very good for productivity because you know <laughs> two or three days go by and you've written like three words because you were so obsessed by you know but that is that is the nature of the great I mean, the authors here, there are so many great authors it, here. It's that thirst for knowledge, isn't it, that yeah, we share, I think. That, uh, everyone shares. I don't think there's anyone here that I've met so far or indeed is displayed on that book table outside who hasn't taken every effort, made every effort to make it authentic and accurate. Mm. And as you say, they're so helpful. I mean, when I, I, I worked in telecommunications for a long time and I would remember going to the equivalent things to this... And everyone you met, you know, you know, you could see how they were looking at you. You know, were they going to stab you in the front or were they going <laughs> to stab you in the back? You know, but you know one way or another they were out to get you. But here, yeah. uh, I remember the first one I went to, I was just astonished that people, they were interested in what you were doing. The questions when they asked you, you could tell they were really meaning them. They weren't just, it wasn't small talk. No. And then they, the, the first question they always had was, well, how can I help? And, uh, That's true. Yeah. So we You're talk about stabbing, but we don't want to do it. <laughs> no, but I mean, my industry of BBC, absolutely what you said, yeah, mm-hmm. front or back, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. or sideways. Yeah. Uh, it was every which way when I went, but, um, <laughs> you know... It, That's it, it, why you're riddled of holes. I am, I am. You like Saint Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like to think that, yeah. <laughs> no, um, so, I mean, you come here now as 
as Andrew Child, billed as, but Andrew Grant by you know real name and, and previous books as well. Um, that transition that you've had taking over the Reacher series, uh, how, how has the reaction to you changed at events like this? Um, well, you know, as we were saying, you know, these events are so great because people are so welcoming and so supportive. So, um, you know, really it's been, it's been very much the same. It's just that I think what, what's really important about it and what's the way I've always approached it is I think that the response is really to Jack Reacher. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that's, it's, it's Jack Reacher that what people want to hear about and that's what I hope that they'll continue to want to hear about yeah. you know and I've always thought the author is kind of invisible really and you know my brother thought the same thing you know his his goal from the beginning he had this idea that when a, a book one of his books came out if somebody went to the bookstore he did not want them to so ask was the for next the Lee Lee child, child. Yeah. he wanted them to ask for the new reacher and um from my point of view that's very you know it was very prescient because now you know if people are are used to asking for the new Reacher. It really doesn't matter mm. who, who the author's name on the on the jacket. It's it's about Reacher, and as long as I manage to tell the Reacher stories in the same authentic, distinctive way that he did, then um, you know I think that the, the, that will be that will be a good achievement. I'm curious when when did that. Sorry, no, you no, have a question. I was, I was just, no, it's not a question. I was just about to say that before we came to the festival, Adrian said to me, "Reacher is coming," and I actually thought you meant Reacher was coming. Yeah, what well, the actor <laughs> yeah. who's done a brilliant job on, on the prime, so Amazon that, Prime series. That's the idea of, of its reacher that you I mean, know you. I have never seen you. You just. I mean, I said to you, I think you're going to enjoy. I'd, I'd seen the first episode. I said I'm, I want to introduce you to this series because uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. And of course, first pro, first episode, there's gratuitous t-shirt off action uh, <laughs> <laughs> particularly the big fight in the in the prison scene um you're hooked aren't you i was hooked but it did bother me he went to a charity shop and he managed to find clothes that fit him because he's so big <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's true um but yeah i mean that's obviously another uh extension to the to the reacher sort of universe i suppose that interpretation do you uh do you have a different mind's eye image to the one that's now televised, in terms of when you when you're writing about him, um, I think I think the image that Alan Richardson you know portray I think is fantastic. It's brilliant. It's, it's very brilliant. you know it's very close to to the way I would I would see it. You know I think there were things you know a, a lot of people were were very down on the Tom Cruise movies, but there were some things that Tom Cruise did that I thought were great. You know Tom really got that idea of Reacher being sort of world weary mm. and would really prefer just to be left alone there's a scene in the first movie that he did where he reaches in the diner and some local guys have been paid to to get rid of him so to provoke that they send a girl into the into the bar to kind of you know tease him and hope that he'll respond to give the bad guys the opportunity you know the the justification for for steaming in and there was a part where he tom crowe's really captured that idea that reaches just thinking just look, just leave me alone. I'm not interested. I want to be left alone. But if you don't leave me alone... Yeah. <laughs> but it, also the first introduction in this year, I mean, you know, there's the long shot of the, getting off the bus and then walking into the, into the community. And then there's a car park scene where uh, some hick yokel is abusing his girlfriend or wife or whatever. And you can see... Uh, it's a brilliant performance because of the... I mean, all great act, screen actors have stillness. And you can see their thoughts 
through their eyes, just the smallest little movements, and you could see all of that going being processed because Reacher quite a lot of the time is a silent character yeah. and yeah you've, you've really hit the nail on the head because the thing that makes it so difficult to translate Reacher from the page to the screen is that I think people will often think about the you know the, the action scenes the violence the fights mm. but even those are, are very sort of cerebral in the books they're, they're broken down move by move why each move was made what alternatives moves could have been made yeah. But were rejected and why, and so you need a way to to show that, which because mm. you had, you no longer have the words that are written down, and um, yeah, you need that through that stillness, through that communication of the process that's going on b- behind the eyes. Oh, he's, so. he's done a brilliant job with that. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah, that level of calculation of spotting something that might come in useful <laughs> in the environment that he's in. You know, the fire extinguishers behind you over there, or the. the the electric oh, gas Oh, now heaters. you've got me looking around. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for the exits right now <laughs> with a man who's an expert in action and killing. Um, <laughs> I, that's interesting. I mean, you, the way you, you describe the action scene, because I, 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 in my attempts to dabble and write occasional elements of action, even if it's the Christmas short story I wrote about... Which is on the table outside. Yeah, <laughs> Santa Claus breaking into a high-security prison um, in Soviet wherever... Uh, it, it, it's it's a tremendously difficult art, I think, doing the action. Is that something you find? Ian? Yeah, I think that. Well, it, actually, uh, you know, when I, I, this is really going right back to when when I started. Mm. You know, when, when you're starting something new, I think it's natural to look ahead and try to anticipate. You know, is it going to be easy? Is it going to be difficult? Which bits are going to be? particularly difficult and I had thought that that it was going to be the action parts that were difficult and the other parts that were going to be easy but actually I found it to be the other way around is it because partly due to the 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 fact that um when you're writing something down on paper if anything is repeated it's so obvious and if you want to have your character move from one room to another room to another room how many different ways are there you know to say he opened the door you know he he went to the other room. That is actually really hard because you have to f- f- describe it in a way that doesn't sound you know, ridiculously contrived and yet isn't a direct repetition of what you've already said. So that I actually find the hardest. That connective tissue yeah. in, the, in the narrative. Yeah. yeah. And then the, you know, the, the action scenes, you know, they're inherently exciting. <laughs> so you know, they're, in a way, easier to, to capture. There's not you, much repetition in that. I've got to ask, do you find... I found myself trying to you know, actually block out the moves myself. You know, uh, I probably did myself some injuries doing it. But uh, you know, and there was only a, you know a, a brief you know flashpoint between two characters, and you know they end up in a rough and tumble on the floor. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm trying to figure out what do I need to leave in, and what do I need to leave out in mm. terms of getting the point across. Uh, how's that process for you? Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. It is about getting the right balance between what's included and what's discarded. And um, you know, Lee has a, an expression that he uses that you know his his idea is that you write the slow parts fast and the fast parts slow. 
because uh, you know it's very good you, you know, i like that yeah. uh, and so that then you know you, you so that you know obviously the fight parts are, are one of those parts that you're going to draw out and from my point of view i did um I, I did karate for quite a few years oh did you yeah yeah so I really have to watch for the exits now <laughs> <laughs> i haven't done it for a long time and you know and now i'm like old and out of shape so <laughs> but um whereas we're not <laughs> But you know, I, I sort of remember a lot of a lot because because what, what what I liked about um, karate is that I really did it as a way of getting fit originally because I was um, working for British Telecom and it was a very sedentary type of a yeah. job. And um, one day I was walking up some stairs in an office and I got to the to the top of the stairs and I'm huffing and puffing and I'm thinking now I need to do something about this. And the trouble is that a lot of the regular forms of exercise, like if you try to go jogging, you know, it is so boring. It is. You know? I, I've tried it. Yeah. It's so boring. Yeah, you try, I've not tried it, but yeah, it is boring. You try, you try <laughs> it, you know, you, you just can't make it. So I, I had a little bit more like with swimming because... The, there's a way you can kind of get into a kind of zen zone mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. a little while but you still need quite a bit of time and the key problem is that you're doing it on your own so if you don't go no one notices mm. True. and so what I decided was well if I did something that was active but it involved other people and you're learning something at the same time that's extra reasons to keep going because people will notice that you're not there and then if if you if you're supposed to be learning something and you don't show up then you fall behind and then and then you, you feel bad yeah exactly so i thought the thing to do is find something that combines and, and karate was, was i thought well that might work so i i started going and i just i really liked it because it there were sort of two sides well apart from the, the general fitness because of course you know that improves through anything like that there were there was this very formal side, you know, when you see people doing the demonstrations and they're doing these specific regimented moves. So there's you learn that. But then there's also the sort of the freeform part where, you know, it's just a bit of a melee. And, <laughs> yeah. and, um, <laughs> and that I really liked too. So it was almost, it turned out to be kind of two things for the price of one. And I, yeah. um, I, I really enjoyed it for a long time. Well, we've just stumbled onto the tennis court, which is... <laughs> what, what we've been doing two weeks now, and I'm addicted. In uh-huh. fact, coming here, I, I even said, can we find a tennis court in Bristol? <laughs> I'm sure there are some, somewhere. That is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Last time I played, yeah. it was wooden rackets and mm. pleated skirts, yeah. so it's very yeah. different now. Yeah. Rackets are mm. very quite high-tech. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's been such a pleasure because, you know, we can. it's the only time in our lives we actually switch off from our fam- familial or... Yeah, we don't talk duties. about the bins or mm-hmm. about business while we're playing tennis. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the serve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been, and I know what you mean, Megan. I was in an incredibly sedentary job uh, at the BBC in, in terms of, in fact, the last two years of my time, I had a new editor who believed very much that if you moved from the screen and got up and spoke to anybody, you, were, you weren't doing your job. And of course, as a leader, I thought that's what I was there to do was walk around and yeah. You know, how dare interf- you leave your you know, computer? I, I like to think of it not as interfering, but trying to sort of motivate and yeah. take an interest. But no, it yeah. was banned. So I, I want to know about the tennis. So, so do, you yeah. play, do you play against each other, or do you play doubles against other people? Uh, well, well, we're not at that stage quite yet. Got to that level, mm. though. At the moment, it's it's a bit uh, sort of rallies that last about three hits. <laughs> <laughs> no, are you competitive or no? Not yet. Yeah. No, no. I mean, he, rec- he hits some zingers though. Yeah. Yeah. There's no chance. <laughs> I, I, ha- I have a little bit of backstory with tennis, but, but <laughs> mainly because when I well I, uh, in my previous marriage. Um, my father-in-law had a grass tennis court mm. in his back garden, as you do. Mm-hmm. 
in, um, in upmarket up Cambridge. And uh, so th- that was partly it. you had to do it. But my kids, uh, they're both autistic and they both needed something that gave them social self-confidence. And tennis was the start. Mm-hmm. And sport has been their thing. That they're, you know, they've applied themselves, and you know, both of them now coach tennis and all this sort of thing. But when I was, a, a, you know, dad taking on my five-year-old then son, uh, my older boy, onto the court and teaching him topspin and you know, semi-western grips and all this stuff. Oh, we you know, haven't the done that yet. Semi-western no. grip. Yeah, it's your next. <laughs> you know, I've given you the eastern grip, and now you're going to get the semi-western. Ooh, uh, I didn't know it was eastern. It's chopper grip. Yeah, right? chopper grip is your serve grip <laughs> and your volley grip. Um, but you know, it's been a, it's been great to sort of transfer that and also take your boys uh so between us we've got five kids uh, all boys yeah on, almost to the court yeah. almost a brady bunch almost mm-hmm. almost well, five aside football they're, they're, team yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're hopeless all of them apart from apart from ben um but yeah i mean i've always wanted them to be a front row and a, and a, and a second row and uh, but you know they haven't got the build for it so <laughs> but anyway yeah tennis tennis is is uh, I mean, my previous experience with it is that I always get knee injuries because mm. it's such a yeah, an impact sport and changing direction so fast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're trying to figure out ways of, of being mobile. Put wheels on your feet. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Something like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, we digress. Um, where were we? Um, so in terms, of, yeah, the action scenes, your karate experience. Uh, you know, you, you'll now understand. You know how Richard would move in certain situations because you know it's that anticipation, the blocks, and the. That's that's it. Must be a tremendous resource to draw on. It really is, yeah. And um, I, I used to love that. And I, I hope you wouldn't mind me mind me saying this, but um, there was a guy who was at the karate club that I went to. We didn't overlap for too long mm. because I was kind of aging out, and he was he was young. And you know, he's one of those guys that you saw. He was, I think, he was nineteen when I met him. Mm. You could see when he comes in, he's just fit and strong. Yeah, and the way he moves, he's agile. And I thought, you know, God, you know, I don't hope I don't ever have to spar with him. And our, our instructor would always say, you know, fighting is about is about the head, not about the body. Right. right? And so, sure enough, I get drawn against yeah, this kid. Yeah. And I thought, I'm absolutely doomed. So what I did was, you know, he went out in the middle and he's bouncing around, ready to go. So I sort of stagger out, like, because I was about 40, I think, at this point. So I kind of stagger out, like, dragging one leg, you know, and say, and before we started, I sort of leaned in and I said, listen, mate, I'm really old, so, you know, just just take it easy, all right? <laughs> and he says, yeah, okay. And then the, the, the you know, the instructor's, you know, gave the signal to start, so yeah. I instantly kicked the guy in the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But, so that gave me a head start. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And actually, this kid went on, and he, he, he was particularly good at catters you know the, the, yeah. the and he, he was number two in the world at one point really wow. yeah and he actually I, I was i was talking to him via zoom a little while ago and he was saying that um he actually never forgot that because <laughs> you know because yeah. he never believed anything that he never believed anything anyone ever said to him again. wow you set him on that path <laughs> yeah. wow but, but you know things like that you can yeah. you know you, you learn stuff as you go and not expect to apply it somewhere yeah and then you know there'll, there'll always be a scene or a sequence or something where you can draw on that kind of experience i've got to ask do you watch cobra kai <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually haven't you know i mean we're in a weird situation because we we live right in the middle of nowhere so internet's an issue or? Inter- well it very recently has ceased being an issue right because we actually have that new starlink internet now uh-huh yeah. um, but from when we moved um we've lived there for um a bit more than five years now and um for the first first 
four and a half years, we had satellite internet, which was fine in terms of speed. I mean, it, it's not speedy like it is in a city, but mm. it's not terrible. But the problem is it's metered, like right. the very old days of internet, remember? My goodness. And the problem then is um, if you streamed really kind of one episode of a show then your whole month of, of, <laughs> of usage has, has been... I see. Up. I was and thinking of you having yeah. to write a, a Reacher book just to pay for that episode. I was that, thinking you were going to say that, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you get throttled down to this low speed and it's all frustrating. But we now, it's like we've, we've entered the 21st century. <laughs> we have internet that, that works and it's fast and it's unlimited. You know, so, yeah, we can start streaming again. So you're in the honeymoon period of the internet. Yeah, <laughs> but we're also in that sort of out-of-step period because we're mm. like, right, we can stream now. Let's stream something. Yeah. Um, That's like what? Yeah. Breaking Bad, we've, we've missed it. Yeah. Breaking Bad, West Wing. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think there's anything worse in family life in the modern day than the mom. The internet's not working. Well, we should tell a story about the thunderbolt. Ah. It was about a year ago. We had a thunderstorm and the internet went out. Everybody except for me. I was fine. I thought I'll just read a book. But you actually went off to Argos to get a new. Router, <laughs> yeah, I did, I did. Uh, you know, this has to be solved. Yeah. I, I, you know, I need to make that was my make fire moment for the yeah. year. You know, well, I remember when uh, you know when when in the internet first started to become a thing, but it was still dial up. Yes, you know, the I'd, modem. Yeah, I bought a computer. I had one. What, what they called the multimedia in those days. Oh remember? yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah, yeah. You could put in a CD or something. Yes, and so um, the computer came without a modem, so I wanted to put in a modem so I bought one of those ones that you you had to dismantle the computer you know and install it in, in an expansion slot inside and then put it all back together so I didn't know if I'd, if I'd be able to do it or if I'd set the house on fire you know but but I managed it I got it all sorted out it worked fine for about a week and then we had a lightning strike you know lightning hit the phone line and it and it burnt out the whole computer and so um I actually made a claim on our fire insurance, and they paid up. The only thing was, um, we had we they would we had a new for old policy, which I thought was great because then you know yeah, you get the latest yeah, model. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Except that what had happened was, of course, com- the prices of computers had gone down, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave me less money than I thought I was going to get. Yeah, oh. no, that's true. That's mm. true. Um, in terms of, I mean, you, you're probably beset with questions on craft and all that sort of thing. The, I mean, that writing relationship of working with Lee now to to bring the new books together, uh, is it an outlining process and then you uh, do the body of the text? Is that how it works? Or Well, the thing with Lee in terms of process is that he, he will not outline. He absolutely... Good. He absolutely... Yeah, another pantser. We love it. it. It's not even that just that he, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't like... He, ag- he actively believes... That it is the it is the wrong approach, right? Because Satan's he, work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he feels that the book should emerge sort of organically, decision by decision, um, and that's the only way to make it surprising and interesting. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, he, he feels that. And I, I mean, I've seen this. There's, this. there's lots of examples of books where you feel that what happened was the author wrote an outline. And an outline is a bit like kind of looking down at something from yes. above. You know, you, you yeah. don't see it in brilliant detail. You just sort yeah. of... Um, but then when... It's as if you've looked at a map and you think you know the way. But then if you're actually driving that route, you see the individual houses and the streets and the potholes. And, you know, 
I think that in a book, every decision that the hero makes has to seem, even though if it's surprising, you know, it's a bit exaggerated because it's fiction, mm. it has to make sense. It has to be something that you would believe they would do. And sometimes I think if you commit to an outline too rigidly, yeah. then there are things in that outline that you, realize, that you don't realize at the time don't quite make sense. And even if every decision is only a few degrees off, pretty soon that builds up to it yeah, being yeah, miles off. Yeah. 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 yeah, It's a bit like me trying to navigate from the hotel Anywhere. here to our hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see something interesting, you think, oh, I'll go down that yeah. way instead. You know, if, if as a reader you can look at something that the character does and think, well, what did he do that for? You know, why didn't he just call the police or, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Then it all falls apart. I think it's, is it, there's a you know those Johnny English movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's, there's, one, that, there's yeah. one that sort of brilliantly illustrates this because I think it might be the second one. He's in somewhere like Hong Kong on top of a big building fighting with some fella. Yeah, and the the villain like leaps off the side of the building and clings onto this scaffolding that's made of bamboos and it's like totally rickety and. The, <laughs> and what they're setting you up to th- expect because of a kind of action movie trope is that Rowan Atkinson will then also leap down and they'll have sort of fight to the death dangling by their fingernails from... Yeah. But, but no, Rowan Atkinson strolls across, <laughs> gets in the lift, <laughs> yeah. hits the button for the ground floor, <laughs> the lift goes down, he comes out, just as the bloke is, you know, finally... Done all, getting, yeah, done all that yeah, stuff, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, they do it to be humorous, but it's, I think it's a really powerful example because if you could just get in the lift and go down... You would do. You well, would, you would do, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Not resistance, of course. Yeah, you know, and, you know, you've got some scenario where the hero has to, like, cut off his hair and braid it into a rope and, you know, <laughs> you know when, when he could just, you know, go, you know, go out the... You know. Just use his charging cable on his phone. <laughs> no, true, true, true enough. So, uh, so, so yeah, so yeah. How, how does that work then, the process? Of, you know, uh, how, how much... How much is, is, is the two of you and how much is, is just you? Well, what, you know, the way that that ties into the thing about the, um, about the plotting mm. is, um, you know, Lee used to say that he didn't plan or... And, and really the truth is that what he, he does is what I call distributed planning. You know, he doesn't sit down at the beginning, do all of the planning, no. then write everything. What he likes to do is have an idea for the beginning write the beginning, then think, well, what happens next? Yep. Decide that, write that bit, then yep. what happens next? So there's lots of planning. It's just broken In up into, into chunks. So what we'll do, all of that planning stuff we, we do, you know, we'll, it's what he calls the fun part. You yeah. Know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the lazing around on the couch, dreaming up the ideas, thinking, wouldn't it be fun if he did this? What about if he did that? Oh, it would be, you know. Yeah. So all of the all of that stuff we, we, we do together, but then I think it's probably fair to say most of the kind of sitting at the keyboard and yeah, crank, you cranking now. it out, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. which is kind of lucky because you know even after writing twenty four books, Lee's still a terribly slow typer. Uh, <laughs> is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, still two fingers clinking. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> You've never been tempted by dictation? Or, I've tried know? that. Yeah. I've tried that. Yeah, um, because what I find, I, I think that uh, the real key to 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 being you know, to, to writing for a living mm. is maintaining 
forward momentum you have yeah. to you know you have to get to the end of the manuscript whatever you do and so the only way to do that is to keep moving forward and the way that the thing that stops me from moving forward is I'll obsess over a particular word or a particular sentence if I see it on the screen I'll be like oh no that's not quite right mm-hmm. I need to t-. and then you know for all you know you spend a, a day faffing around with one sentence yeah. and then that sentence gets cut anyway yeah. yes. so yes. you know yes. it's a real waste of time and it kills that forward momentum so a lot of the time i look for ways to uh, you know avoid getting hung up on yeah. the things that i've already written so that i can keep going and so for a while i tried the dictation thing yes. and it worked fairly well but the thing was i was very self-conscious about it oh yeah and if if i if i felt like there was somebody listening to me it just it just inhibited me and it, when we lived in chicago we had a really small apartment and so really if anybody else was in the apartment and awake they would be able to hear what you were doing yeah yeah and particularly since i don't know if it's better now but when i when i tried it you'd still have to say full stop you know it's not a lot better now he he went through the door comma yeah period yeah 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 yeah. yeah. so i felt semicolon yeah (laughs) i felt very inhibited so i tried it for a while and stopped but what i do now if if i'm falling into that trap it's ridiculous in a way, but I'm I'm actually quite a good typist, so I just type with my eyes shut. Oh, really? Yeah, and then you know you can't see what's on the screen, That's so good. you can't stop and get hung up by it. That's fascinating. You should wear shades. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I'd never heard that yeah. as a solution. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a very useful tip. To take away. You should try. Yeah. I should try that. You're right. Yeah, You're right. If, yeah, if you can touch type, you don't need to be looking no, at the screen. No, of course you don't. No, no. So I just. Can you touch type though? Mm, I wouldn't go as far as that. No. I mean, I'm always surprised when the words come out the way I imagine them. <laughs> but, the th- but the thing is, it, it doesn't matter if they're not 100% no. either. You know, if as long as you can tell what it was supposed to say, mm. it doesn't really matter if you've missed a few letters or mm, you know that's true. run some words together as so long as currently my laptop keyboard doesn't have an o and p working oh. <laughs> <laughs> which so is a problem when your publishing company is called hobeck so yeah it's it's been a yeah we've had some interesting workarounds with that especially when rebecca is one of the most remarkable people that well any person i ever known who can actually do all the office work while sat in the passenger seat of our car when we're driving up to these events we went to yeah. sunderland recently and i did four hours work it's great well you mentioned about the name I've, i'm probably very slow on the uptake but i've just figured out why you yeah the yeah so i'm the hoe <laughs> she's the beck uh well, actually the other thing was the inspiration we were listening to uh, rob bryden and um steve coogan on um the trip the first series and they're driving through i think it was the forest of boland and they create this character you know hobeck gill hello <laughs> you know but we you did have over some, 50 and you haven't got life insurance. So, somebody in America called Andrew Hobeck wrote to us and said, you've got my name. How yeah. <laughs> so we sent him a mug, didn't we? We oh, did. Nice. We did. Yeah. We forgot to bring them. I'm so sorry, Andrew. You know, <laughs> next time we see you, we'll bring you a mug. We have a badge. We'll give you a badge. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> and I'll get some free merch. I would love a mug. I'm a, I'm a huge sucker for mugs. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we, we understand we'll your passion. Them. I was going to ask you about your passion for coffee. Well, that's, yeah, that's where it stems I, from. I mean, yeah. I mean, do you have your own blend or has anyone, you commissioned I, one yet? I or? don't. I mean, a couple of people have done uh, variations of Reacher blends. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's nice because yeah. they send us some. But um, no, I, 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 I just love my coffee and I've got currently um, at home, I generally have in the, between the kitchen and my office, um, I'll have four coffee machines. on the, <laughs> And so, because sometimes I like 
you know, drip coffee. Yeah, and, okay. And yep. sometimes I like um, Nespresso. So, <laughs> all right. And that way, you know, if, if one of the machines breaks down, and inevitably during the course, my, this time, last, the last, when we, when we did Better Off Dead, I wore out my drip machine, so I had to get another one of those. And this time around, I've, I've worn out my Nespresso. It exploded. <laughs> did it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we dread the day that our... Uh, yeah, we've only got one coffee machine, but every now and then, it, it, what is it? The, the, the internal thing. Oh, whatever it is, it just jams, and then and you I know, have to it takes YouTube, like that. find the YouTube video on how to fix it. It's it's a dark day, but mm. we have a blend. We have a Hobeck blend. We have a Hobeck we? blend. We'll, mm. we'll get some to you. Oh, that would be <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, because I mean, I just get completely out of control with coffee when when, um, especially when I'm getting towards the end of a book. Um, and I'm staying up later than, yeah. than I should, you know, it, it gets awful. And one time, um, I actually, tr- I tried to give up coffee. And, and it was it was the worst morning of my life. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, I'd been away somewhere, and Tasha had done one of those seven day detox things. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, every day I talked to her on the phone, and she'd say, "Oh, this is amazing. I'm feeling so good. You know, I'm feeling more energy. I'm sleeping better. You know, everything about it was good." And I thought, "Yeah, I, want, I, I fancy some of that. I'll do it as well." So I got home and said, "Right, I'm doing the detox." And she's like, "Andrew, you can't because you can't have caffeine." <laughs> That's part yeah. of it. Yeah. And, and I said, "Oh well, I'll just stop then." And she's like, "No." You drink too much. You're going to have to yeah. wait and you know, like taper off over yeah. a couple of months. Oh, yeah. And being being stupid, I just said, "Ah, oh, no, screw it. I'll just I'll just stop. I'll go. It'll be like a hangover. How bad can it be?" <sighs> and so I I've s- been there, brother. Yeah, I tried <laughs> to not drink coffee. So I got up the next morning at about nine, and um, by eleven, I'd given up. And it was partly because we were supposed to be going. That was in Chicago. We were supposed to be going to New York the next day to to see the publishers. And it was the, remember when there was that bird flu mm-hmm. thing? Yeah. Um, everybody. It was at the very beginning when no one knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Everyone was frightened of it, and I was pale and pasty, <laughs> yeah. sweating. That's it. It's so she, yeah. She looked at me and she said, "They won't let you on the plane. No. Think, <laughs> think you've Have got a bird coffee flu. quick." Yeah. So I, I I turned on the coffee machine, and while the coffee machine was brewing i drank a couple of cans of coke <laughs> yeah. well I, I i have come off caffeine largely haven't i i mean 90 percent. yeah so i've only done it when i'm pregnant i was, was having the enough. having the racing heart rate and and that sort of thing you know i'd be lying on the bed headaches, it'd be like headaches. 130 and you're thinking what is yeah. going on I, mean, I know i'm not in the greatest shape but that's not that bad yeah. and they said look do you drink too much coffee and yeah double espresso's <laughs> six a day sort yeah, of thing yeah keep on coming yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have gone through that process and it was hideous it is hideous isn't it yeah it, it makes really you, is makes you appreciate what it must be like if you if you are unfortunate enough to wind up on heroin or something like that right and you, and you can't I mean, if it's that bad coming well I, I that's yeah. exactly I felt I was Hugh McGregor Mm-hmm. In that cold turkey scene in Train Spotting Number One, yeah, yeah, where you know he's locked away with some Campbell's soup, and, yeah. you know, and a, and a duvet, and he's sort of shaking. Um, that's how I felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was absolutely. awful. Yeah. So let's not give up coffee then. No, <laughs> no indeed. What, what I love about it is, you know, the scientific opinion is changing all the time. So I'm, all, I, I keep an eye out, and at like one week, coffee's terrible and will kill you. If you give it a couple of weeks and all of a sudden oh, yeah. it'll be fine. It's, it's excellent and it stops you getting dementia and then a couple of other weeks. But that's then, the, the yeah. ne- I mean, this is an interesting topic because this is one of my favourite bugbears. My father was a research scientist and uh, he's fantastically caustic about the scientific industry, especially the, the popular scientific industry who decide, you know, you can basically commission something that tells you that it's either negative or positive and that and journalists, dare I say it, as a former journalist will jump on anything that makes headlines like this. And he says, look, the real science is completely different. 
you know, there's all these people going around the world peddling theories and stuff like this, making a lot of money out of it. Um, but actual real scientists, you know, they're, you know, they're publishing a couple of papers a year, which have been incredibly well researched. And so, whenever I see that sort of stuff, it really winds me up, if I'm <laughs> honest. Yeah, no, I can, I can totally see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, my, towards the end of my time at, at British Telecom, I was involved in product development. Yeah, and. Um, you know, if you want to develop a product, that's going to cost some money. So you have to go to the bean counters and, and mm-hmm. convince them to give you some. And what you really want to say is, you know, look, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, trust me. And, and if it doesn't work, then you can fire me. But I think it will. But they won't accept that. They, they, so we, we, you'd have to hire research companies. But, of course, what you do is you say it, it's a bit like when you're dealing with lawyers. You can't ask the lawyer a question because they'll say no. You have to say the answer I want is yes. So what question do I need to ask? Yes. And it's like that with the research people. You say to them, well, you know, basically I want a load of money to develop this product, so I need you to design a questionnaire that is going to come up with the answer that says this is the only possible way to develop. You yeah. Know? And, and so it was a ridiculous game we played. And, oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's corporate mm-hmm. culture, though, isn't it? And, and uh, actually peculiarly British, I think, sometimes. I was very bad with the corporate culture. Was, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I remember one time I was... I was I'd come up with this new product that I thought was going to be good, and it involved several different elements. And um, you know, we managed to get the, the the funding for it. But then, of course, the bean counters wanted to pull back, and they were like, "Well, maybe we could take some of the, you know, we, we could take some of the elements out." I was saying, "No, it has to be this package." And they're like, well, they probably don't need all of them. You know, the customers probably aren't buying it for all of those things. And the guy happened to have a bottle of water on his desk. So I said, "So tell me, did you buy that for the hydrogen?" Or for the oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's classic. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, in your session yesterday, you mentioned that one of your ambitions is to be in a position where you can work on the reach and have your other books going at the same time. And clearly, not at this stage yet, mm-hmm. but how far off do you think you'll, you are from, from achieving that? Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully next year, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I was really enjoying the series I was I was writing. Mm. Um in a you know, I, I, I had a two or three different series with with different characters yeah. that I, that I really liked, but there was something in the back of my mind always that that I couldn't quite. You know, if you have like a Polaroid photograph and it's only just come out of the camera and it hasn't quite come into focus yes. yet, you, you know yes. there's something there, but yeah. you can't quite see what the colours aren't quite yeah right. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt, and. Um, what I, the more as I got closer, what what I figured out was that I think one of the things that makes Reacher so appealing is that he's really this timeless, classic mm. character, isn't he? The yeah. sort of the knight errant that goes, mm. you know, way back in time, crosses all different cultures and countries. Yes. And so I was, I was trying to think of, of something archetypal like that. And the the thing that you know, partly I think the reason I. I I stayed away from it for so long was that I kind of associated it with something that I really liked when I was a kid, which was Robin Hood. Mm. You know, Robin Hood, do, you know, who, you know, steals from the rich, gives to the poor, you know, stands up for the little guy. And so, really, the, the series I was doing, the Janitor series, kind of, I mean, it's not, there's no sort of obvious parallel, you know, sort of yeah. in your face. It's not Sherwood Forest, yeah. yeah. It's not Sherwood, exactly, exactly, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. But, you know, the, the essence of the character is that he stands up for the little guy. You know, yes, he, he, yeah. yeah. And so um, I, I think for a while I, I didn't have the confidence to, to say, yeah, I'm going to have a character who works as a janitor 
Mm. And then he does all these other things. You know, yeah. I was worried that, but then after a while, I thought, no, that is what I want to do. Mm. I'm going to make it work. And I really enjoyed it. I really so enjoyed it's time it. to get back to that. I, you're, you're inspiring me here because at the back of my mind, you know, remember that series I wanted to write and I haven't got around to it. Oh, the Theodore one. Yeah, The Victorian Undertaker in, mm. in, in 1860s Manchester, the fulcrum of the Industrial Revolution, the creation of the Cooperative Society. Marx and Engel are working in the, uh, in the library up the road writing the communist, you know, the basis of the communist manifesto, all this sort of thing. The IRA are running amok around town. Great place. Put, a, put a, uh, an undertaker in there who's, who acts partly as sort of sleuth with his Maori counterpart mm. uh, and also, you know, does, overcharges the rich for free funerals for all the poor bairns who are dying in the basements of the dreadful buildings <laughs> of, of, of slum Manchester and all this sort of thing. I love and that. Yeah. Yeah, so you I, should definitely do that. I love yeah. that. And, and certainly for, and I think it might tie in a little to, to what you're saying there too. One, one thing that I had in the back of my mind for the, for the janitor was that when I was, I remember um, years ago reading The Castle by Kafka. Yeah. And, you know, all of his stuff was very weird. But one thing that he had was the idea that you had all of these sort of people who were, had all this prestige and all this status, and they had no idea what was going on in the castle or in the town because they wouldn't talk to one another. But they all went to the same guy to have their hair cut. <laughs> so yeah, the barber yeah, yeah, yeah. was the only person. The most person. powerful person. Yeah. So I, I love that idea that, you know, you were technically a kind of lowly, unimportant person, but, but actually you... You, you know more yeah. than anyone. Yeah. So I had this idea for a while, um, and I was sort of, you know, overtaken by technology. But I had this idea that for a career, what I could do is I could be... Remember in the old days when there were people who wheeled tea trolleys around? Oh, yeah, yeah, big yeah. time. Yeah. My first, when I worked at OUP, we had the tea, the tea and coffee lady came down twice a day. Mm-hmm. So you'd, you'd be sat at your laptop, not your laptop, so your computer working away, and you'd hear the rattle of the cups and think, oh, it's coffee time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I thought I could do that. I could wheel the trolley around, and then... Everyone would talk to me, and then, even though I was the tea boy, I would actually be the most powerful person in the company because I would know everything. They did. They knew everything. Mm. They knew what everybody had in their tea and coffee. They knew, they yeah. knew everybody. They knew yeah. everyone's name. They were peddling drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I like the sort of, you know, the initiative, you know. And one of the small telecom companies I once worked for, it was in a brand-new building that, that had been put up. There was no canteen or anything, so they had invited three food trucks to come and go in the car park, and then yeah. stuff could yeah, go yeah. out and, yeah. you know, Cue for a sandwich, yeah. yeah. And then at at some point, all of a sudden, two of the trucks stopped coming. There was only one. So, you know, and I remember remember wondering why that was. And it turned out there was a bit of a scandal because what had happened was the guy that ran that food truck had one day come into reception and he'd seen some company notepaper on the reception desk. So he'd pinched it. Yeah. And he'd written to his rivals and told them that they were banned from the premises, pretending that it was coming from the company. That's superb. And then, so when that was, when it was discovered, um, then they kicked him out and brought the other two back. And I was saying to them, no, you've got it wrong. I mean, if this guy's got the initiative... initiative yeah. yeah. No, that's so a killer what, instinct. Exactly. You know, that's so, brilliant. So what that he cheated? That was, you know... <laughs> well, we, when the BBC and Television Centre in the days when we were still there, we had a guy who used to deliver our newspapers. And this is a big deal in the newsrooms of the BBC because every single programme had a massive pile. Probably two or three copies of every single national newspaper mm-hmm. would arrive in these huge bundles. Everyone rushed for the sun. Anyway, um, and the guy who used to deliver these at sort of four or five in the morning was a, it was a Chelsea fan. 
and uh, you have shaved head, lots of face furniture, you know, piercings everywhere, lots of tattoos. Real geezer, you know. And everyone knew him. And um, there was suddenly this spate of thefts going on around the building. And he was using his trolley that carried all these newspapers to take the plasma TVs off the wall, put them in his van, put a blanket over the top. All right, guys, yeah, see you tomorrow. And uh, when they raided his flat, it, there were £250,000 worth of high-tech equipment from the BBC oh in God. his flat. So he got about six years, I think. But, you know, it just goes to show the sort of access all areas nature yeah. of a job like that. Exactly. And that was the other side of the idea for the janitor because, you know, if you're working in, yeah. obviously you've got the security clearance, sure. so you can go anywhere. And, you know, if you're the janitor, no one notices you. you no, yeah, you're invisible. You yeah. just blend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, though I like, I don't know about you, Andrew, but all the way through my life, I've always made sure that I got to know, you know, like from the, when I was at school, I knew, you know, I had long conversations with Roy, the caretaker. Just, I wanted to to know about these things, you know, to be civil and nice. And the same with the porters at Exeter University. Yeah, and the same with Wendy, the trolley lady at OUP. Yeah, but I mean, the, por- <laughs> but the porters at Exeter University, where we both met, they had the most filthy language you've ever... Any girls walk past, oh, we'd like to do something to her and all this sort of stuff, you know, in the Devonian accents. <laughs> so you had to put up with a heck of a lot of stuff that wouldn't be acceptable, me too now. But um, so they were Pat, they'd, Pat they'd and like, Mike, the porters. They'd like to do things, but probably very slowly by the time. Yeah, they, they, were, they were, yeah, they were funny They're probably couple. in care homes now saying the same thing. I don't know. I think they probably passed on. But I, I was going to invite them to my, to my wedding, but it, it didn't quite work out that way. But, uh, you know, those are the guys that really made the, the difference. If you, knew, if you knew everybody who did all those sort of jobs, they get you out of scrapes all the time. I found in life, yeah. yeah so definitely, yeah. it's a funny way to get to Re- Rebecca's random question because the ball, is a hubbub. The ballroom is filling up. There is uh, a hubbub. Yeah, uh, they're charging to buy books and all that sort of thing. So, so maybe it is time for the uh, random question. We have question. taken a, an awful lot of your time. We hope it hasn't been too wasted. Uh, so Rebecca, I'm going to give you the build up, <laughs> and we're going to get to the room. But I can see he's sweating. Look, yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Rebecca's random question. So, there's one chocolate bar I would bring back if I had the power, and it's a Texan bar. What is one food item you'd bring back from your childhood if you had the power? It would have to be the... I don't even know if it's gone, but it would have to be the Curly Whirly. Still going. You could still get them. Oh. I think we should buy them they're a not, Curly Whirly. They're, they're, they're not quite as you remember them. No, they're, they're smaller. They're smaller. Yeah. They know, yeah. But, I mean, maybe we've grown. I mean, we that's... Might have done. Yeah. But, no, I remember them. I'm... I remember them so well, and that was a real treat for me to have. A yeah, curly whirly. So, yeah. What about yeah. In American candy? Do you touch it at all? Or? Not really. I mean, there are some. By, by, there's, there's a company by bizarre coincidence that's in the town where my wife was born, and they make kind of old. Fa- they call it hard candy. In the yeah, States, you know, yeah, like, yeah. The stuff you yeah. get in jars, or yeah. like boiled sweets. Yes, we right, right. And um, they make some really nice ones. Sort of, you know, like lemon. There's some lemon ones that they make. That Does really reach like. a delve into the world of candy at all can it? you see him with a curly whirly I remember, I remember that, <laughs> that we're, we're working off the first you know your, the first story which mm. was televised and the, the, the whole motif of the pie which mm. eventually gets to eat yeah. peach pie I think it was um, has, he, has he got a sweet tooth not particularly yeah. sweet I mean he likes I don't know why I'm asking this he likes you know the very the good classic straightforward things you know he, yeah. like, he likes a burger he likes a pie you know he likes mm. a cup of black coffee so oh he's my sort of man yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm afraid he because really, you like fancy fancy food I am you? I'm a terrible <laughs> a bit of a foodie um, well I'm a, yeah, yeah a little bit I mean yeah. you know so what's it, your favourite if you could go to one restaurant in the world which ooh, would you go to um, 
How long have you got? <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. The one in Copenhagen, which was sort of uh, the sort of the foraging and the Nordic oh, sort yeah. of. Uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the best restaurant I've been to, and I haven't been to enough good ones, uh, to be perfectly honest. But the best one I've been to was the Hand and Flowers in Marlow, which is Tom Kerridge's two star. And there was one in New York I went to with one star, which was just mind blowing. But I haven't really done the, the you know the, the Michelin star trail. And in this country, the problem is you've got to book nine months ahead yeah. or know somebody. And that's do you, so, do you like to cook as well? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because one thing I don't know if you've ever done this. One thing that um, Tasha and I've really got into recently is the online cooking classes. Oh, oh really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a company called uh, Truffle Shuffle. Oh, I like that. And there are some. I think they. I think they, they started in. There's a restaurant in California. I've never been to it, but it's called the French Laundry, and it's you know I don't know how many stars it has. It's but it's one of those top yeah top ones. Yeah, yeah. And these fellas, um, they set up a company that I think it was originally sort of supplying truffles, and then the pandemic hit, and of course yeah. the restaurants closed. Yeah. So they were doing no demand for yeah, truffles. So, yeah. So what they and other people do this too. So I'm sure there are other ones that are also good. They. Um, they have these. You sign up to the. They, they have a schedule. You sign up to the class. Um, they actually send out a box with all with the all ingredients. The ingredients in. Yeah, it, maybe not like super perishable ones. Yeah, you know, like if, yeah. if it involved steak, you might have to buy. You know, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah. Um, they they provide the ingredients and then you log on at a certain time. And then there's a chef and they have it all set up so that you can see different angles mm-hmm. of, of how they're doing the different techniques. And you know, Tash is an amazing cook. But even so, with any the ones we've done, every single one you learn something new. And there's some little shortcut that you didn't know about. Yeah. Or some technique, or the thing that I like because I'm not such a good cook, and there will be times when something will go wrong when I'm cooking, and then I'm I don't know what, what I have to do about it. And in these classes, you know, you learn. Oh, well, if this happens, it doesn't matter because it will just correct itself in, in right, your, right. But if oh, this, if this happens, you're a in, dash you know, of vinegar, or exactly, or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. no, I love it. So that's something. Honestly, oh, you should, you know, uh, yeah. it's your birthday soon. <laughs> well, I might do that. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the dream for next year because at the moment I'm just two and a bit years out of the BBC and to actually be allowed to apply to MasterChef mm-hmm. I have to have three years oh, clear yeah. uh-huh. so uh, that's what I'm building up for mm-hmm. I want to get whether you could cope though with was it Greg yeah which, which well, one you, you know uh, it's different judge I think is it Gordon Ramsay does it in America I think um, but uh, yeah the ones over here John Tarode and Greg Wallace you know they'll always be going what are you doing there sort of thing and, yeah. uh, and I'll go just <laughs> you know, I'll turn Gordon Ramsay on. But they'll say five minutes, five minutes. <laughs> yeah, all that rubbish. But uh, look, I've repeated the story so often, but we'll do it offline. But uh, I have encountered Mr. Ramsay, and it was an interesting experience. Colourful. Mm. We'll do that offline. But uh, we, we'd like to thank you, Andrew Child, for joining us so much here on the Hopcast Book Show. It's been a massive pleasure. And I, as ever with our interviews, we have got off the topic a fair bit. <laughs> But I'm sure it's all the better for that. So I don't thank think you so we've much. We've ever had one that's completely on topic. Never, yeah. never, never, never. Organic. That's the way to do it. Absolutely. Well, Adrian, Rebecca, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, and I hope we can do it again. We'd love to. We'd love to. He dealt with your random question really well. He did. Everyone does. Everyone knows uh, it's coming now. So I know. So I've got. To, I've got to be a bit more inventive. I think. Start yeah. thinking of some um, un- unpredictable random questions. Yeah. <laughs> 
So that's Andrew Child, and uh, we, you know, really enjoyed his company. And actually, we spent some more time with him um, subsequently to that over the weekend. So, yeah, genuinely uh, thrilling uh, to meet him, and uh, a real pleasure. And it gave us lots of energy and sort of feeling that we, you know, you'll have noticed from the podcast that we we really are desperate to belong in this industry. <laughs> and I think now, after seventy-five episodes of the podcast. 40-odd books in print, 22 authors signed up. We are established, but in our own minds, sometimes we... Oh, we still feel... Yeah, imposter syndrome, whatever. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We'd like to congratulate Malcolm Hollingdrake on his uh, appearance at the Old Court in um, Wigan yesterday. Yeah, Um, so unfortunately we couldn't make it because we were here to record the tribute, um, which which was arranged, you know, but then fell through at the last minute. Well, yeah, basically everyone I was supposed to be meeting here decided not to come. So we booked our, you know, I mean, we made made the most of the weekend. We've had a really good time. Yes. And, and it's been, we've caught up with old friends as well of mine. And that's been wonderful. You're meeting people for the first time who, you know, who I knew from this period of my life. But, you know, come on. You know, if you're going to call us and say, look, let's do a weekend, please stick with it. You know what I mean? And also cancelling mid-morning of the day yeah. is... Yeah, it wasn't great. No, it wasn't but, great. Well, we'll move on. It's fine. You know. So, I mean, one of the things we did do is we went to um, another legendary Exeter University pub, didn't we? Last time we went to the Double Locks, which was legendary for, for both of us. But then we, we went to another one, which is legendary for both of us. Yeah, the Beer Engine, which is in Newton St. Sires, a little village just to the north-east, I guess, of Exeter, not far out. It's got a little train halt, so you have to hail the trains if you want to catch it. <laughs> I've done that once when it was, la- you know, we had last orders and catching the last train about eleven twenty at night. And uh, you're desperate, you know, you're waving your arms and hoping they see you in the middle of winter. Otherwise, you're stuck. Um, yeah, they, they did stop. It's a microbrewery, one of the earliest. I mean, you know, before they were a major a thing. thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were doing it thirty odd years ago. Uh, when we were students here and I, I on one occasion for my 21st birthday god we're going back a bit now um i decided that i had to have what they call a poly pin of uh, beer it was the biggest one they did it was about 46 pints or something like that <laughs> and um none, none of us had a car so we had to lug this thing 46 pints weighs a fair old bit as you can imagine um lug this box the two of us uh about three quarters of a mile back to the bus stop from you know where we could pick up the bus and get back to our <laughs> halls of residence it took forever and then we plonk, plonked it in um, a friend's bedroom she's volunteered to hold, host my 21st birthday party put it on her desk and you know unfold the tap as you do with these <laughs> just things lay underneath and turn. just lay underneath and drank and each of us took turns the place got flooded obviously um you know it was it was raucous um, I mean, we created this experience this weekend. No, we didn't. Quite, <laughs> no, it, they, their beer—they've expanded their range. It's—it's it's amazing stuff. Oh, I mean, I don't drink beer very often, but I had a few sips of your beer on the first night, and oh, it's amazing beer. Really yeah, good. It really is. It really is. Next week, we're off to another place with an amazing brewery. We're going to Lin- Southwold. In the Versus House. No, well, <laughs> Southwold is the home of Adnams. Um, now. UK world famous, you know, wide famous rather. Uh, the first beer I ever drank was Adnams. 
when I was about 14. My dad <laughs> bought some from fish and, with fish and chips, and uh, the brewery was right opposite where our little cottage was. And I think we've discussed this before, uh, you and I, when we, we were did. walking around. So um, we're going to Slaughter in Southwold next week. We are. And there'll be some wonderful guests there. So it's going to be a Slaughter in Southwold special. Yes. We don't know who we're going to speak to apart from Lynn. No, so we can't, we can't reveal that yet. No, we can't. No, we can't. But there'll be some, there's some good names coming. So uh, we're looking forward to that immensely. Uh, Harrogate is just around the corner. So looking forward to that. The CWA Daggers dinner is soon as well. There's a lot of stuff going on. There is. And this week we have uh, a very significant meeting. Uh, we think it's going to be significant uh, with uh, a London rights agency, which if it all goes to plan and you know we can start prop- having proper discussions, this could be a, a major turning point in the direction of what we do. Um, so we're looking forward to that, but a little bit trepidatious because, you know, business is business and it's, you know, you never know where these things are going to go. No, it's, it's, we are stepping into a bit of an unknown. And um, to use a phrase I use a lot, we've never done this before. You do use that <laughs> phrase a lot. We have, though, uh, produced lots and lots of audiobooks and we have produced lots and lots of books. And there's tons to see on our website. We've done a little bit of refreshing, which reflects uh, Crime Reading Month here in the UK. And uh, take a look at the website, www.hobeck.net. And we've had lots of recent titles released recently, which have done really well. So check those out. But, uh, you know, just check out the world of Hobeck at our website. Yeah, and I mean, we've still got two thirds of June left. If you've never really read much in the way of crime or you, you, you stick to the same authors, have a look. Pick someone different. Read someone different for June. And you never know. We might find a new favourite. You might. You might. You will if you read a Hobo book. <laughs> I should have said I should be more assertive, shouldn't I? You will find a new favourite. Yeah, I, I was doing it in my advertising voice, <laughs> sort of a mix of Robert Dawes and oh, you know Martin Jarvis. And I was doing it in my British apologetic. Well, yeah, you might yeah. like it. I don't know. I'm sorry if you don't like it. Don't blame me. <laughs> find an audiobook you really love. <laughs> yeah. Usually narrated by me, but we've got quite a few other people involved. Uh, so that's it for this week's edition of the Hopcast Book Show. Uh, our thanks to Andrew Child for sparing so much time at Crime Fest. We look forward to speaking to you next week from the east coast of England. I know, we go from one end to the other. Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, sort, well, sort of. of. We're on the south coast at the moment. I mean, I, I paddled yesterday in Tynmouth, didn't you I? You did, yeah. Well, when I say paddled, a wave came and smashed against the wall and reverberated off the wall and over my head that was quite an experience yeah it really was <laughs> we emerged like sort of like uh, a sea devil <laughs> <laughs> but it was what it's uh yeah no, no that was that was a funny moment but yeah we're off to the coast again and uh we're really looking forward to that so we'll see lynn and we'll see uh, other authors there we'll meet bertie the dog again which is one of my favorite troll up the cat troll up the cat oh and... we should tell them about maggie really quickly oh go on <laughs> So we stayed in an Airbnb in um, somewhere beginning with the letter S, no? Stoke Cannon. That's it. And um, when you booked the Airbnb, they said, um, this Airbnb is only really suitable to people who like cats. And so you thought, I love cats. I've got a cat. I absolutely love my cat, so that's fine. I saw past that one and thought, you know, I can probably live with that. Yeah, okay. So as soon as we got there, a cat emerged. A beautiful, very similar looking to Lynn's cat Trollop, actually. Beautiful tortoiseshell, very slim, very sleek, very intelligent looking cat. And the cat, we opened up the um, Airbnb, which is like a cabin attached to the main house. And the cat came in, leapt on the bed, leapt on my lap, <laughs> and stayed for about half an hour. Yeah, she was a character. She's Amazing. called Maggie. She's Maggie. lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
we witnessed Maggie mousing this morning. The yes. most amazing death leap over, yeah. over a huge bed of nettles into a field of corn. Uh, and she got the mouse first time. It yeah, was it was quite it was, extraordinary. Yeah, it's it like, like watching a David Attenborough. It really was. <laughs> it was. Yeah, like a sort of a leopard or a jaguar, sort of jumping out of a tree. It was uh, something else. Anyway, Maggie, we salute you, <laughs> and we salute you. We for will this. miss you. We've only known you for two days. But right, we I'm trying to keep you. this podcast to time. So that <laughs> we failed. Oh, yeah. Could not mention Maggie. Maggie's gorgeous. All right, all right, all right. I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. I've been Adrian Hobart. He has, and he's cutting me short today. I'm Rebecca Collins. And you're in a humph as a result. (laughs) Humph? (laughs) So we uh, bid you farewell from lovely Topsham on the south coast of England in Devon. And we will see you again next week from Southwold on the east coast of England. And uh, we are immensely grateful for your company this week. And it just remains for me to say, have a wonderful and, of course creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website www.hobeck.net you can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.